Thank you, Billy. And this brings us to step 12, where life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We won't want you to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. For the next 40 minutes, I give you Chris R. speaking on step 12. So good. Thank you so much. I'd rather talk about step 12 stuff than probably anything out there. Just happens to be something kind of near and dear to me. And uh, I, uh, y'all watch me close because I've been going short all day long. I could go long on this one. I'm just saying, I, it's, it's near and dear. And uh, before I do this real quick, I know soon after we're going to get a chance to do some question and answer later. And I'm always looking forward to that. Uh, sometimes I forget, get going. Uh, Y'all have done a masterful job organizing this thing. Uh, you know, all the correspondence before and everything's in, I mean, y'all set the bar pretty high and uh, nonstop with all the little security guys and the little prayers and the, the you know, everybody jumping in there and the voices. It's uh I'm be, I happen to be one of those type, uh, you know, personalities that, you know, I like order. <laughs> just, you know, it's okay. I just, yeah. Thanks for doing it. This, uh, this book, Steps 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholic, alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. This, you know, it was a pretty big soapbox for Bill. Uh, 123 places in the first 88 pages, Bill talks about working with others. I mean, he Bill was pretty clear about what this was about. Bill's in Towns Hospital, and uh, he, uh, oh my God, he has this spiritual experience. Abby's feeding him, you know, talking about the spiritual path that could possibly help him. And he has this spiritual experience, and they immediately start talking about you know, possibly helping some other people with this, you know, Bill gets out of uh, detox and uh, starts going back in almost immediately to Towns Hospital where he, where he was there for detox on his fourth visit, for heaven's sakes, and um, uh, working with alcoholics. Dr. Silkworth let him come back in and talk to his alcoholic patients. I mean, bam. And uh, I mean, it, there wasn't any of this. God, it's just this this level of controversy around sponsorship. I mean, you look around the rooms and, you, you know, if I say something that contradicts what you're doing, you're right and I'm wrong. I'm just going to say that, guys. But just coming from my book and what, what it's asking us to do, it's telling us real, real clearly the foundation stone of our recovery is working with others. That That's what this whole thing was about in um, uh, Bill Wilson's in Towns Hospital. And then he gets out, I think about six months sober. He's uh, in Akron uh, when a business deal goes bad. You, I can show you the, the history stuff on it anytime. Most of y'all know it. But, you know, he's in the Mayflower Hotel. If any of y'all ever get a chance to go to Akron, I, I, uh, I'm i not going to ask anybody to raise their hands. But it's amazing to me how many of us have never done it. And I, I just I got to tell you guys, it is the coolest trip ever to get a chance to do that. And uh, that Akron Intergroup is Awesome. You could, you could stay there for a week 
and never see everything. It's just absolutely spectacular. But you go to Dr. Bob's house and you can go to the Mayflower Hotel. It's a shelter now, but you can go during the times. There's a tour that you can take and you go up on that second floor where Bill Wilson comes out of the elevator. He had a business deal that went south. He didn't have any money in his pocket. He literally did not have enough money to pay for his bill there at the Mayflower Hotel. And uh, he's uh, walks out and there's a bar at one end. It's not there anymore, but you can see where it was. And uh, either the bar there and he could hear people drinking down there and having a good time. And, and uh, he says he knew he was on shaky ground. Bill says, shortly after the historic making conversation, I found myself in Akron, Ohio on a business venture, which promptly collapsed. Alone in the town, I was scared to death of getting drunk. I was no longer a teacher or a preacher. I was an alcoholic who knew that he needed another alcoholic as much as that one could possibly need me. Driven by that urge, I was soon face-to-face with Dr. Bob. He goes to the little deal, starts calling numbers, gets hold of the reverend. Reverend turns him on to Henrietta Cyberling. Henrietta knows Dr. Bob. They hook together a meeting. Bob's too drunk to see him that night. Next day, they get together and Henrietta Cyberling's the Gate Lodge. You can go visit the Gate Lodge. The furniture that Bill and Bob sat in, or was, they put it back in there a couple of years ago. And uh, the, it's just it's breathtaking. You walk in there, you can see right where Bill and Bob sat and talked. Dr. Bob says, I'm going to meet with this guy for about 15 minutes, and then we're out of here. He was just doing it to be nice to Henrietta Cyberling, who set it up. He didn't even believe any of this stuff was going to work than the man in the moon. And I was just talking to an archivist uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Over six hours, they sat in that gate lodge and talked. That short little visit turned into a six-hour conversation. Dr. Bob said it was the first time I'd ever talked to anybody that knew what they were talking about around the alcohol. And they started visiting. They started talking about the possibility of helping other alcoholics. And uh, Bill didn't have anything else going on, and he stayed local. And he ended up staying with with the Dr. Bob for a period of time through the summer, and they uh, they put this thing together. It was the it was the birthplace of Alcoholics Anonymous. The whole deal I'm trying to get here, guys, is understand. Bill Wilson didn't have anybody telling him that he wasn't sober long enough to go work with anybody. Just God was placing this on his heart, and he was out there doing it. And and the, the rest is history. We've just still got so many people out there. That's why I was talking earlier when we were talking about the other steps. And I was talking about these people, these, these uh, folks that have some long-term sobriety that have lost it. And then you've got these well-meaning people out there telling them that if you come back as a newcomer, no, you need to get right back in that trench and start helping that little newcomer get well. It's, I'm going to read it again. All the bills talk, it's by working with you that I get help. Guys, if you're in a crazy spot, your head is talking all kinds of crazy stuff to you, go find a drunk to work with. Go find an alcoholic. I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's spiritual law. If you can't do it in AA, go do find the church. I don't care where you do it. Get out of your head and go help somebody else, and that obsession will go away. Bill Wilson was crystal clear about it. It's just, Yeah. Bill wrote, that was a, that little excerpt I just read was in language of the heart. And I'm going to put a plug in for the literature, guys. I've just got to say this. Um, cause I'm the literature guy at my club and my little group, AA group. And, and, uh, we, uh, uh, you know, I'm just a big one for literature. When I was first getting sober in, in the early eighties, uh, you know, I never, didn't even have a big book. 
And in 87, these old timers got around me and I'm reading the big book. And they said, they said, Chris, what are you reading? And I said, the, the big book. I thought it was a trick question. And they said, no, but look over here. And they opened a bookcase and they had all of these books, you know, language of the heart and, uh, you know, all as Bill sees it and came to believe and uh, this whole bunch of this stuff, some of this stuff that they're coming out now, our great responsibility about service. Oh, it's just some wonderful literature. Even literature, there's AA produces some stuff I don't like. I'm, I'm still going to read it, and I'm still going to make sure that the guys I sponsor are reading it too, because I want them to see what this is about. I I, I struggle with art, with literature that contradicts the big book, but other than, I mean, but it's all good stuff, and we, I think we need to read it anyway. That was a some good decent sponsorship that that kind of helped me with that. In uh, 1961, I want to make a point. I'm not, I don't want to beat it to death, but I want to make a point. There's a, a grapevine article in 1961 called The the Dilemma of No Faith. You can snag it online. Uh, I could send it to you too, but it's uh, 1961 was, this was 10 years before Bill Wilson passed away in 1971. And Bill Wilson's already seeing some things change in our fellowship. Though 300,000 did recover in the last 25 years, maybe a half million more have walked into our midst and then out again. Yet we can't well contend ourselves with the view that all of these recovery failures were entirely the fault of the newcomers themselves. Perhaps a great many didn't receive the kind of amount of sponsorship they so sorely needed. We didn't communicate when we might have done so, so we AAs failed them. Uh, it's one of the reasons I love Bill Wilson, but he, I mean, if he could see a problem, he'd talk about it. He wasn't working. It wasn't this all this big PR deal. We, we don't do things perfect in AA. And we went through periods of time in Alcoholics Anonymous in our history where we stopped carrying this message. Don P that we were talking about earlier used to talk about on his tapes. He'd talk about all the time. Tapes. See, I aged myself again. Okay. On his speaker talk, what he was talking about, he would always talk about at some point in our history, we stopped talking about recovery and started talking about sobriety. In other words, we, we started shifting our direction. It was all about 90 meetings in 90 days. How many meetings have you gone to? Meeting makers make it, all of this. And it wasn't about what step are you on? It wasn't about pushing that newcomer to that, to that, uh, to that spiritual experience. And I mean, he made a pretty clear point in that article. In 2000, uh, uh, Box 459 uh, was a great little article. And I'm just going to read a part of it, guys, because this is going to set up what I'm talking about. Intergroup asked, where have the volunteers gone? This was, is this, this was the uh, December uh, uh, issue of uh, Box 459. The most frustrating thing about answering Intergroup's phones, says Bob R., manager of the intergroup association in New York City, is finding an AA member willing to take a 12-step call for some sick alcoholic who has phoned us for help. Sometimes it takes us 20 calls to identify just one willing volunteer. Some of the responses we hear when a live member actually does answer the phone, what's a 12-step call? How do you get, how did you get my number? Do you mean you actually want me to talk to someone who's still drinking? The saddest response came from a member who exclaimed, no, I can't do it. I'm busy all today. Today is my sobriety anniversary. <laughs> that boy's going to hell. I'm just saying, just, I'm just saying, you know, come on, God. I says, what, what is, it? but it's the truth. 
I spent all those years in Alcoholics Anonymous listening to people tell me that I'm not sober long enough to do any service work. None. Can't chair a meeting. Can't ma- you can't do anything till you've made 90 meetings in 90 days. Nowhere in the book does it say do that. What it says is stop feeling sorry for yourself and turn around and go help the little person next to you. Because you can always find somebody that's busted up a little more than you are. I, I, I'm so blessed, folks. When I got sober in 87, I landed in a room full of people. And I got to tell you, these old guys took took me under their wing. And uh, they said, Chris, we're going to get you a sponsor, and we're going to help you get through this work as quick as possible. And uh, we're going to guarantee you, if you'll do what we ask you to do, uh, you're going to have a spiritual experience. And, of course, I'm, you know, I'm not believe in any of that. I've been in AA seven years and never had a spiritual experience. What the hell makes me think that these guys are going to? But the next morning, they qualified me that night. Remember, we talked about the first step. And the next morning, we made a pot of coffee, and they sat down with me, and, and uh, uh, we started talking about steps two and three. And we went to a little 10 o'clock meeting, and afterwards, we chased some Al-Anons out of the back room, and we got on our knees and did a little third step prayer. And went and got lunch and came back, started working on a fourth step. And I started feeling a part of Alcoholics Anonymous. Some groups are just geared to do this, folks. And some groups, it's all about meeting, make, or make it stuff. And I just, I know they love AA as much as I do. I'm not being critical of them. I'm just saying we're in a, we're in a tough spot because right now, especially after COVID, we don't have enough people sometimes in certain areas to do the work with these newcomers. There's an endless supply coming. You can, you can see the tidal wave coming our direction. And I got to tell you, guys, it's not going to be treatment that's going to fix this. It's not going to be a medication. It's going to be recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous that grab that little knucklehead around the head and give him a couple of little noogies and drag him off to the back room with a highlighter and, and say, let's go. Because when they start to see the solution, everything changes, folks. It's just It just takes my breath away. I got to tell you real quick. Some of y'all have heard me talk about this. I can't not talk about it. I talked about it at Founders Day last year when I got a chance to speak, and it was such an honor to do that. But uh, these guys, I mean, literally the first weekend I was there, they showed me where the payphone in the front. Some of you little new guys that always want to make fun of me because I don't know what TikTok is. Listen, do you know what a payphone is? Huh? I'll take, take that. Okay. And there was this, y'all remember at airports where there used to be thousands of payphones and now there's maybe one? Okay. But there was a payphone in this AA club up in Louisville, Texas. And they showed me where it was and they showed me the, 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 the meeting schedule on the side. And I said, Chris, if the phone rings, answer it. So, you know, we're in a meeting like that. If you happen to be close. And I'll never forget, it was that Sunday night, and uh, the phone rang. And I'm looking at them and they're looking at me. And the old timer crossed his arms and looked at me like, are you going to answer it? And I picked it up and I said, Louisville Group, and turned out, swear, uh, scouts on her, I knew the lady that was calling. She was the wife of a guy I used to drink with. She was looking for an Al-Anon meeting, and they showed me the schedule right there. And I said, there's a meeting at 8 o'clock. And I says, I'll meet you right out front. Do you remember what I look like? I'm kind of hard to miss. And she was laughing, and she said, thank you so much. And after the meeting, I stood out there and got it. Took her to the little Al-Anon room, and she was ready for a little meeting. 
And I walked out. You should have seen me. I was like, God, I was just, yeah, guys, I got this. Back up. I got this. You know, like Mr. Big Shot, you know, because I did. Yeah. But I felt a part of the group because they let me do something there. Anyway, I'm sitting on the tailgate of my truck and I had this little spiritual experience two weeks in and uh, the obsession lifted. And I've got a completed fit fourth step, ready to do a fifth. They're showing me the disciplines of 10, 11, and 12. And I'm just, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm on different ground. And I, um, that week, I, I went back in. There's like three, this is like three weeks after I tried to commit suicide, coming back into AA. And um, they said, Chris, we want to, we want to nominate you. Come to the group conscience next week. Next Wednesday night's our group conscience. We want to nominate you as chairman of the cleanup committee. And I said, because I'm in the food business, guys, they think I know how to clean a kitchen. And I do. My wife might disagree, but I do. Okay. And I just like, I said, guys, I'm not interested. I'm the newcomer. Remember, desire chip, most important person here. No, thank you. And they said, well, come to the group conscience anyway. So I did. It was a trap. Y'all know where this is going. They unanimously voted me in as chairman of the cleanup committee at that group. And I went up after the meeting and I, this old guy that had, railroaded me he's over there snickering and i i said can i have a list perhaps of our, our uh other committee members of the group so that i can organize a cleaning rotation for this place we certainly need to get this place cleaned up and he spit coffee clear across the kitchen he was he said chris there's no committee you're the janitor okay here's the here's the vacuum cleaner here's the cleaning supplies here's the keys thank you very much and they left you know and i'm i stayed away for two days to punish them when i came back on a friday my brother wasn't sober yet he got sober this uh this month and uh he uh he let me off work early and on a friday afternoon i went in there about one o'clock and i locked myself in that club and i cleaned that place like a big boy and i did folks i know how to clean that you know chair set up with a ruler that vacuum all that brown stuff in the coffee pots oh my god and those bathrooms what is, what is it about aa club bathrooms what 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 are you who raised you pack of wolves again and it's like got it all cleaned up you know and i'm sitting in there about 30 minutes before the meeting starts i got a pot of coffee made and i'm sitting in there soaking wet in the back room where the where the meeting is and uh i hear this little lady walk in and she's uh, she shuffles in and you could hear her. She's about this tall, guys. She's, she's like maybe two feet tall. Literally, she looks like a little question mark. She's like 140 years old. She's the matriarch of the group. And she walks in. You could hear her sliding down the linoleum floor. And she's squealing in there. She looks around the corner. And she says, oh, my God, did you clean this place? You know, if I'd have had a tie, I'd have straightened it. Said, yes, ma'am. You know, I set up. And she walked around behind me. I'm sitting at this little table, six-foot table. And she comes around, and she gets that little bony arm around my neck. And she gives me a little back hug. I can still feel her breath on my cheeks. And she said, I want to cry every time I tell it. And she said, boy, we need you. Yeah. Folks, three weeks before, I was trying to commit suicide, not because I was drunk. I was trying to commit suicide because I felt absolutely useless. Those bedevilments that we talked about in the second step, those were kicking my butt and I wanted to die. And this little lady's coming up here telling me this, Miss Boy, we need you. And they hooked me hook, line, and sinker. Y'all understand how that is? It's like, do we need the old timers? 
flee. Of course we do. We need the newcomers too. We need everybody in these rooms. Bill Wilson was pretty clear about it, folks. On bottom of page 129, I should have had it marked, but I didn't. Bill Wilson talks, bottom paragraph, even if he displays a certain amount of neglect and irresponsibility toward the family, it is well to let him go as far as he likes in helping other alcoholics. During those first days of convalescence, this will do more to ensure his sobriety than anything else. Did y'all get it? During those first days of convalescence, this will do more to help the newcomer than anything else. That little newcomer. See, the Bill Wilson understood if you get active and get busy in the program, you're going to stay sober. But our low success rates out there, guys, the, the time that we see so many people come in and so many people leave is that we're not engaging them. We've got too many people out there, entirely too many people out there telling people what they can't do. You can't sponsor till you're a year. Why? I was at a, I was at doing a workshop in, in New Orleans one time, and this big old mountain of a guy came up and got in my face and says, you're, you're killing people. We don't let nobody sponsor until they're five years sober. Well, so I didn't realize you were on the Rewrite the Big Book Committee. But what? My book is simply just the exactly opposite. Guys, I'm not going to do it by myself. My sponsor then said, Chris, if somebody's stupid enough to come ask you to sponsor them, you say yes. It's okay. And then call me because your life is fixing to change forever. And it's like, okay, all right. A couple of months later, guy asked me, and I call my sponsor. What do I do? Same thing we did with you. Come on, I'll show you. Come on, guys, they walk. That's what we, all of us in this room, all of us in this gathering, we're all teachers. That's what we do. We're going to show you how it, how it worked for us. But this nonsense, don't buy, I, I got to hit it, and, this is, and I won't belabor it, but guys, we, we have a tendency to, there's so many people out there that just want to tell us what we can't do. It's this dogmatic, I understand the traditions. I understand the steps. I understand our, our, our group customs. You can't sponsor. You can't date. You can't do this. You can't do that. It's, it makes us look cultish. It makes us look stupid. we got to stop that nonsense. Let's, let's paint this picture of what Alcoholics Anonymous was really all about which is pretty good. Bill Wilson wrote a great little article talked about talking about new people sponsoring newer people. Many times during our growth, guys, we've hit these growth spurts where we way outnumbered the number of available sponsors, and we depended on the newcomers to come in and pick up the slack, for heaven's sakes. And the truth is, if you've got a big book and you're teaching out of this, this is the only message we're supposed to be carrying. I'm not a therapist. I'm not your banker. I'm not a doctor. See, if somebody asks me something that I don't know, you know what? I get to say that today. It's, there's a lot of freedom. I don't know, but I know somebody that does. And I'll take them and I'll get them connected to a good therapist or a good doctor or whatever we need to do. It's just, it, it works pretty good. But I got the guy excited about doing the work. And uh, I got to tell you, they did a study out there, and it's not in the big book, guys. I'm just going to refer to it one time. Uh, there's a study out there that talked about how uh, advantageous it was to have a sponsor. But the ones that were sponsoring did way better than the ones that had a sponsor. It's by helping others that I get to, I get helped. That's, and Bill Wilson understood it. That's where the stuff started originally coming from. 
In Jim's story, there's a little place on there that talks that Jim gets loaded. It's because he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Bill Wilson, up in his story in the front of the book, and in, in Bill's story, talks about failing to enlarge our spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. That's how I grow spiritually. It's, it's the it's the it's the beautiful thing in here, folks, is that each and every one of us in this gathering gets to help in our own way. I I, I That's the beautiful thing about this, and I'm going to come back to that in just a second, folks. That's just, I want to hit a little high side, though, real quick. People are always asking, well, how do you have a, how do you find a sponsor? You ask. I don't believe in picking somebody a sponsor because it's, it's pretty personal. The minute I pick, Carrie comes to me and she wants, she's new and she wants a sponsor. And I say, Carrie, okay, I've got a perfect lady for you. And I pick this lady for you. Well, what ends up happening though, if she doesn't have a word in it, then what happens is when she doesn't like this lady and doesn't follow through and then Carrie gets loaded, then it's my fault. I, I mean, I'm all for somebody leading you towards somebody. But again, at the end of the day, it's pretty personal sometimes. And I think you need to, you need to have a hand in, in that. Um, just saying, it doesn't have to be an, the old guru in the group. Sometimes it's, it could be a young guy. It's, I, I've seen it a thousand times. Uh, uh, I'll say this is most controversial thing I'll say through the whole deal. Uh, I'm a big one for men sponsoring men and women sponsoring women. I know some of y'all have men sponsors as women. Rock on. If it's working for you, great. I've just known a gazillion disaster stories based on that. I never knew a woman ever that couldn't Pull the wool over my eyes. All you got to do is start crying. Don't worry about it. I'll do the four step for you. Just never mind. I don't know. Just, just saying. But whatever works, if they got a big book. The question that I ask my guys to ask when they're looking for a sponsor or looking for somebody to work, I just tell them point blank. I said, buddy, ask, go up to somebody and ask them this question. Have you had a spiritual experience as a result of working the steps? But you'll get two responses. They'll either back up from you like a crab, danger, danger, you know, or they'll go, where did you hear that? Absolutely. Come here. Why do you want somebody to sponsor you that hadn't had a spiritual experience? I get tired of talking to people in Alcoholics Anonymous that want to talk about something they they know nothing about. Have you ever done that, been sitting in a meeting, and we're talking about the fourth step? And I guarantee you the first two speakers, one of them will say this. Well, I've never actually done a four-step, but, and then they want to start talking about quit, stop. If you've got experience, share it. If you don't, don't. But our job is to get that little guy connected spiritually. And that's what, that's what we're going to hopefully accomplish. I'll tell it again. I mentioned it yesterday. Larry Jewell, the guy that brought Alcoholics Anonymous to Texas, had never been to a meeting. Doctor told him to get the heck out of the cold north. He was in Cleveland. Good him on, they took up a collection and got him on a train and sent him to Houston. He had a job there. He got there. Guys had a big book, copy of the big book he read on the on the train. And got there and started writing some articles about Alcoholics Anonymous. Started a little meeting. And uh, all the meetings in Texas started from that, folks. Uh, it's just phenomenal. We, we learn by doing things, folks. We don't learn just by talking about it. We got to get up and do it. And it's scary. I know nobody wants to do it. But if you'll go with what the book tells you to do, this is not near as complicated as you think it's going to be. And it's not going to be near as time consuming as you think it's going to be either. If you do it the way the big book has asked you to do.
I just um, hope y'all stay in touch with me about that. If you get tangled up, we'll call me and we can we can visit about it. Uh, understand that um, Dr. Bob sponsored in his 15 years, uh, he sponsored over 5,000 guys. When I was in Akron, I talked to some people over there. I talked to the archivist there, and I talked to some of my friends there in, in Akron. Guys, it's, that's the truth. That's not just a bumper sticker someplace. That's, that's fact. 5,000 people. He didn't sponsor the way some of y'all are sponsoring. We're going to sit down and read the book, and we're going to go to coffee, and we're going to this, – that's not what he was doing. He was showing them what the steps look like and, and guiding them through this work so they could have a spiritual experience. And then he'd go on to the next one. If you can help, that's great. But, you know, we want them not to depend on the sponsor. We want them to depend on the God, on the, on the program, on the fellowship. That's what we're supposed to be doing. I got to tell you this real quick. And I'm guilty of it. Some of y'all heard me talking about it. This is right before COVID hit and, uh, we had a big old meeting and, uh, I'd shared about something. Ours is we have a big book study at our group. We're reading the book and studying it and talking about it. You know, we read three or four pages and talk about it. I can send you all the formats if you're ever interested, but it's funny. And I, you know, I got to share and a bunch of the guys I sponsor were sitting close to me and they got to share and it was a good meeting. And at the end of the meeting, uh, I'm getting up and we're holding hands and we're going to do the Lord's prayer. And I look across the room and this guy is looking right at me and he's, Oh shit. And I looked over at Patty because Patty and I go to meetings together, and she's right there next to me. And I, I, I said, is that guy looking at me, or am I making I'm not, am I just wrong? And she says, oh, shit, no. He's looking direct, dead at you. Ah, man, I can't sponsor this kid. I've got too many. I'm, all, I'm too dead gum busy. I got, I got, I, oh, okay. I'll, I'll see if I can talk to him. We finish saying, at the Lord's Prayer, we don't say keep coming back. We say stay. Everybody lets go of the hand, and this guy starts making. It's that, just like that, that sound in uh, uh, the movie when Jaws, you know, when that's like, dun, 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 dun. And he's coming, and he's weaving in, he's shoving people out of the way, and he's coming fast, buddy. He's just coming. And I said, oh, man, I said, okay, all right, I'll talk to him. I'll talk to him. And he gets right up next to me. I'll never forget. And puts his arm, pushes me out of the way. I'm literally pushes me out of the way. And he gets this little kid behind me. This little guy's. He's got tats from head to the to his soles of his feet. Y'all thought he's got piercings all over his face. He looks like a little little freaking space alien. You know he does. He just he's one of these guys that had to talk with him. I always laugh about it. He's, he he had a toaster with a nipple on it. That's what his 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 vape looked like. He's outside. And nobody wants to talk to me. Nobody can see you. What the fuck is you? There's stuff everywhere. He's sitting behind me, and he shared something with me, and this kid didn't want anything I had to do. He came straight, pushed me out of the way to get this little Pearson guy right behind me. Yeah. And, of course, then I get my feelings hurt. I'm looking at Patty. What the heck? I thought what I said tonight was particularly pithy, you know? I was like, laughing at myself. I was like, what the fuck? Guys, everybody can't hear it from me. Some of these people need some nice and gentle, quiet person. Some people need to be hit on the head with a hammer. I'm good at that. But you see, if we could all do one way, then there would be a bunch of people we would miss. I just got to say it. Book talks about each of us in our own way are going to carry this message. That's why I'm going to say the same thing that the little lady told me that night. It says, because we need you. 
we need the older folks out here with, with lots of experience and age on this and, and, a, and a viewpoint that nobody else can see. We need these little young ones coming in. They're all excited. They're on these service committees. They're all lathered up. Boy, they're just, they're a hundred miles an hour carrying a lot of weight in our, in our fellowship. We just so appreciate it. We need everybody. Black, white, gay, straight, even Yankees. We need them. I, I just real quick because I can end with it. The spiritual warfare, folks, y'all heard me talk about all the last two days. The spiritual warfare is real. It's this little voice in the back of your head that tells you that you don't have time, that you're not sober long enough. I, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this from a newcomer. I can't even help, I can't even help myself. How can I help that newcomer? That is absolute crap. That's nuts. If you can help yourself, then go do it. I can't help myself. I need you. I need God. I need, I need other men and women in the program to lean on. Guys, I have, I have long periods of really good days, folks. My 35 years, I've been through some tough times in sobriety. I've had some health scares. I've had, I was in a marriage one time. There was a little nine-year-old stepson involved in that divorce. There was not once in those 35 years have I wanted to drink, but I was looking at a bridge for a period of time. If it hadn't been for people in Alcoholics Anonymous that I could talk to and lean on, I didn't need the guru in the corner that wanted to quote me page numbers. I needed that nice lady in the meeting that had been through a divorce themselves. I I don't know. If you think for a second that you haven't figured out who's going to help you, you're wrong because it ain't going to always be your sponsor. It might be that other little guy down at the end of the table that nobody hears a word from. And then all of a sudden out of his mouth comes exactly what you need to hear. The spiritual warfare is in your, in your, in your head telling you that, that you can't help. Please don't listen to it. And if somebody comes up to you early on, folks, you newcomers, and tells you that you're not sober long enough to do something, say thank you. And then jump in there and get busy. Because I guarantee you, you'll stay. It's by helping others that I get the chance to do that. I'm going to end with this, guys, and I love it. It's a quote William James said, one of Bill Wilson's favorite authors. He was reading varieties of the religious experience in Towns Hospital when he was detoxing. I can't imagine detoxing reading that book. It's not a a quick read. I can promise you that. But Bill Wilson loved the guy. Act as if what you do makes a difference. Why? Because it does. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Chris. And finally, we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the principle of anonymity has an immense spiritual significance. It reminds us that we are to place principles for personalities, that we are actually to practice genuine humility. This is the end, this to the end, that our great blessings may never spoil us, that we shall forever live in the thankful contemplation of him who presides over us all. I give you Billy N. on Tradition 12. Thanks. I'm Billy. I'm an alcoholic. Good to be here.
Um, you know, I just want to comment on, I loved Chris's talking about how we need everybody. You know, I sometimes tell people because we're so judgmental, me included. Um, you know, if you sit in the last row at a convention conference roundup, and I'm not telling people to sit in the last row. This is an experiment, okay? Um, but if you happen to be sitting in the last row, the good thing about being sitting in the last row at a convention or a conference is everybody up front will exit and they'll walk past you out the door. And I always tell people, as you stand there for 10, 15 minutes as people are walking back after they've probably thanked the speaker, you're going to hear one person go by who says, who the hell chose that speaker? That's the worst speaker I've ever heard in all of AA, never even mind at a convention. And two minutes later, somebody is going to walk by in tears, telling the person next to him, God, I wasn't even going to come tonight. That is exactly what I needed to hear. I've never identified with a speaker that much. We can't look at AA with just my lens and my eyes. We, we need everybody. So the long form's already been read, but let me just throw out a couple of things here when we talk about the 12th tradition. We cause as much harm as like some, because of some of the behaviors. So like, I'll just throw this out. If you ask me to sign your big book, I will ask you if you're asking everyone here to sign the big book or just speakers. If you say I'm only having my friends sign it, I'll say, well, we just met. Like, there's nothing special about me. Sometimes people don't like to hear that. I've actually seen people bring stuff to people who are famous to sign. Like, it's crazy. Absolutely insane. I don't like speaker gifts. So if you're hosting a convention or a roundup, it's really nice if you put a couple of bottles of water in my room and maybe a couple of pieces of fruit. That's nice. And a card that says thank you. That's awesome. But I don't need a new wallet. I don't need a $40 sweatshirt. I would much rather a newcomer, I would much rather the registration price be lower so that more people could afford to come. You know, we've created as much trouble with our special classes of anyone else. I don't even like to eat first. I do not like to be like made an example of and like, oh, we're going to let the speaker speak first or the trustee eat first. No. In fact, I believe that eater, that leaders eat last. Um, one of my favorite speakers on leadership always talks about that. Leaders eat last. That's who eats last. Everybody else eats first. So if you have a Traditions Illustrated, I love what it says up there. Let us always remember that anonymity, not taking credit for our own or others' recovery, is humility at work. I also love this picture of a building. I guess that's maybe GSO, supposedly. And on the side of it, it has a sign that says anonymity, sacrificing personal ambition for the common good. 
Then I just want to read a couple of my favorites out of this uh, pamphlet. Tradition one reminds us that we are not recovering on our own, that we should control our personal desires and ambitions in order to guard the unity of our group and of our fellowship. We ought not fancy ourselves as big shots in AA, no matter what office we hold. When we go on 12-step calls, we should not tell ourselves how noble we are for doing such valuable work without pay. The meaning of 12-step work cannot be measured in money, and we have received advance pay for it in coin of far greater worth our very lives. In the same tradition, it's suggested that a service center maintains AA humility by paying its employees decent wages rather than considering AA so virtuous that our outfit, that employment there is a favor. I love that. We do not want to sell our program as a surefire remedy in the extravagant terms of a promotional campaign or dramatize it by identifying noted people in AA. Inside AA Comes of Age is some pretty strong language from Bill W. So I want to read it. Page 131 of AA Comes of Age, the bottom paragraph. This is a pretty strong statement. This is a guy who was in that gatehouse with Dr. Bob. He was there when our world services were created. Author of the big book with some other people helping. Was there when the office exploded and AA membership exploded and lived until 1971. And what does he say here? In my belief, the entire future of our fellowship hangs upon this vital principle. What vital principle? Anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I'm going to read it again. In my belief, the entire future of our fellowship hangs upon this vital principle. And then he goes on to say, no AA principle merits more study and application than this one. I am positive anonymity is the key to long-term survival. Now, in the 12 and 12, if you go to the current 12 and 12, page 187, the opening narrative says this, the spiritual substance of anonymity is sacrifice. Well, if you look up the word sacrifice, I'll give you the definition. It's the act of giving up something of value for the sake of something else regarded as even more valuable. The act of giving up something for the sake of something else regarded as more important or more valuable. And it then says, but in the beginning, anonymity was not born of confidence. It was the child of our early fears. Our first nameless groups of alcoholics were secret societies, but we're not a secret society anymore. And it goes on to say this on the bottom of page 188. The phenomenon of contrast really set us thinking squarely before us was the question, how anonymous should an AA member be? Our growth made it plain that we shouldn't, that we couldn't be a secret society, but it was equally plain, uh, plain that we couldn't be a vaudeville circuit either. The charting of a safe path between extremes took a long time. And then at the end of page, uh, of the end of the tradition on page 190, 
As we lay aside these very human aspirations, we believe that each of us takes part in the weaving of a protective mantle, which covers our whole society and under which we may grow and work in unity. So there's two words there, protective. That means to protect something or someone, uh, or someone, a strong wish that they be safe from harm. And mantle, an important role or responsibility that puts one thing in front of another. So it's our job to protect Alcoholics Anonymous from who? Not the outside world, not the treatment world, not the detoxes, not everybody else with their own recovery program. It's our job to protect ourselves from ourselves. We are the worst. We don't need anybody from the outside to threaten Alcoholics Anonymous. We need to take care of it ourselves. And, you know, Chris talked about the 12 steps. The ego is our enemy for sure. It's not our friend. And there's lots of ways. Listen, everybody has to battle this in a different way, whether at work, in AA, in your community. I get it. But in AA, it's very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. And sure, one could say, wow, Billy, you spoke at this traditions thing. Doesn't that affect your ego? Of course, I am human, just like everybody else. But that's why it's 100 times important for me to be, you know, active in my own AA community. But we have to take care of our own egos. Because none of us can live up to those high expectations. None of us. Facebook has become, and Instagram now. Um, I know I, I get in trouble for saying this, but I don't need to be in the Friday afternoon speakers club of posting where I'm speaking on Facebook. I'm never going to be in that club. And what, put a code word there, like I'm going to speak about a book or I'm going to meet friends I've never met? I just don't need to do that. And you could say, well, it doesn't say AA, and, but, but what about this? Are there pictures of you and just other random people that you know? Or is it like pictures of just the speakers, like, traveling or having dinner like that just seems so out of touch with the 12th tradition to me i I just i don't understand it and i know that you can post you don't even need a coin you could put roman numerals on your facebook page i don't know if that's still in it was the in trend for a while it was kind of like somebody published an article that said if you use roman numerals it's okay you would have thought and so what are all your friends supposed to think that Roman numeral means? Now, if you want to do it with just your AA friends list, that's fine. You want to be grateful that you just celebrated another year? Listen, I believe in permanent sobriety, and I believe that there's nothing wrong with showing the newcomer that it doesn't have to be a painful day at a time. But do I really need to brag to the outside world? Do I, do I really need to do that? Um, I just think I don't. 
I think this 12th tradition is so important. I believe what Bill said. It is vital to our future. And this happens on many levels. Also, do I have to speak my two cents on every single issue at my home group? Is my voice that important? I think I already said, when it comes to AA business meetings at your home group, everything needs to be said, but everybody doesn't need to say it. Everybody doesn't need to say it. And the same thing with sponsoring. Um, you know, I just want to share this about step 12 because, and how step 12 comes in with tradition 12 is again, I hate to use the red book, but I'm going to for a second. The good old service manual. But there is a line at the end of concept nine on page C32 of the current service manual. So it's in the back section where the concepts are. But the last paragraph on concept nine might be the greatest thing written about sponsorship and about knowing our place in AA. And I'll read it. This is particularly true in the area of 12-step work in which nearly all of us are actually are actively engaged. Every sponsor is necessarily a leader. The stakes are about as big as they could be. A human life and usually the happiness of a whole family hangs in the balance. What the sponsor does and says, how well he estimates the reaction of his prospects, how well he times and makes his presentation, how well he handles criticism, and how well he leads the prospect on by personal spiritual experience. These qualities of leadership can make all the difference, often the difference between life and death. And that's out of the service manual. AA has God knows how many million members today. But we need more. And that doesn't mean I want non-alcoholics to join AA. We need more active members of Alcoholics Anonymous. We need every voice, every vote. That's what's the most important. We also need to make sure that we're doing this for the right reason. I'm going to look for something. I'm switching from hard copy to hard copy to hard copy to notes on my phone. And now I want to bring up something which I think is one of the greatest things ever written about anonymity. And believe it or not, written by a non-alcoholic. This is Bernard Smith. He was a non-alcoholic trustee. Without him, we probably wouldn't be here today. In 1953, this is what he said about the 12th tradition. Let us talk about the concept of anonymity. I can remember when the reason for the name Alcoholics Anonymous was based on the fear of human beings to admit to the world that they had once been afflicted with alcoholism. Yet within a relatively short space of time, the word anonymity as a device to hide one's past as an alcoholic has disappeared. I know of no alcoholics in AA who are today not proud of their affiliation with the society. The concept of anonymity today 
means to all of us the humility that comes with the willingness to serve without hope of gain or recognition or reward. If only all of human society could accept this concept of humility as we practice it. And I want to repeat that one line. The concept of anonymity today means to all of us the humility that comes with the willingness to serve without hope of gain or recognition or reward. No rewards, no recognition. The highest rank is member. And sometimes that means standing back. Sometimes that means even if somebody wants me to do something, maybe someone else can do it. Knowing when to measure yourself. And also knowing enough, if you've been around forever, like Chris talked about, the old timer in the corner. If you've been around for a while, know that some of your words will be impactful to other people. And they might not know better and just think that you know the right answer. And sometimes part of this 12th tradition is knowing when I should shut my mouth. Knowing when I don't need to add to the pile of whatever is just being said. That it seems like the discussion is going on just fine without me. It's a really hard thing to get a grasp of. I have, I'm, I'm not saying it's easy for sure. But this spirit of sacrifice is the number one principle in Alcoholics Anonymous. We have to sacrifice that AA is more important than us as individuals. And sometimes when you walk out of your business meeting and you don't like how something went, I always say, I'm not putting down signs on the wall and slogans, whatever. I get it. People hang things on the walls. To me, the most important sign in an AA meeting is the exit sign. That when I walk out under that sign, no matter what group decision the group reached, what my natural inclination to do when they're wrong and they went against what I wanted is to be pulling out my phone and texting every moron that wasn't at the business meeting and saying, where the hell were you today? You wouldn't believe what the group did. And already looking in my calendar, when's the next business meeting next month so I can tell all those morons to be there? Like, that should not be my first inclination. In fact, when a group conscience doesn't go my way, I should work harder to carry it out. That's what I should do for my ego. I don't like something. I should be cooperative. I should carry it out. Now, of course, does that mean sometimes groups make big mistakes and you want to have a right, a minority opinion? Sure. But most of the time, it just means that I was wrong. God has spoken through the group conscience and I should not be behind the scenes fixing, managing, controlling. I should just be trying to believe that God's will just spoke. And the best thing I can do is be a team player. Unfortunately, we're an organization of two million individuals who, who, uh, maybe it's not natural to be a team player, but accepting the group conscience is one of the ultimate ways I can practice humility. I hate the blue card. Everyone knows that. Can't stand it. Especially about open meetings. 
because it's not the same as is in the conference approved literature in the AA group pamphlet. There's a line or two missing. I travel a lot for work. Sometimes I'm sitting there in a meeting 10 minutes before it starts, minding my own business. And then I have a panic attack. You know why? Because I see the chairperson just reached into the box and came out with the how it works and the promises and the blue card. And so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, give me anything besides the blue card. I don't really want to read how it works, but I'll gladly read that before the blue card. And often what happens, the person walks right over to me and hands me the blue card and says, hey, what's your name? Could you read for us tonight? And when I read, I read the blue card. That's what I read. Now, I will tell you something else that I don't do. And this is because I think I have to put principles in front of personalities. If you have changed AA literature on your own and have your own preamble or your own how it works or whatever else, I don't make a big deal of it. I just tell people I don't read non-AA literature in AA meetings. That's my own personal decision as a member. It doesn't even mean I'm right. It just means that's what I believe is the best to contribute to Alcoholics Anonymous. It's been a real pleasure to be here the last two days. Um, I, I'm very thankful for this opportunity. I'm very thankful for the district that hosted it. Um, I really hope that I get to meet some of you as the world is opening up. I really hope that some of you can take this. And like Chris said, you don't need to be an expert. The next time you take someone through a big book, just crack open the 12 and 12 to the traditions and AA comes of age and a couple of the other things that I've mentioned and help a newcomer go through the traditions. You know what's funny? Last thing I'll say in my three or four minutes. We talk about the traditions a lot of times before we even talk about the steps with a newcomer. We just don't call them the traditions. How many times does a newcomer ask us about money? Who gets the money? How many times does a newcomer say, is that, is that, is she in charge? How many times does a newcomer say, do I got to believe in the God that this church is in or do I got to believe in God in general? So many times we're involved in discussions about the traditions without even using the word tradition. And that's our job as greeting someone new in AA. Not only take them through the big book, but to share with them what AA is and what AA is not. And this does not mean that we don't make mistakes as people, as groups, as AA as a whole. We make some mistakes. I've made thousands of them. That's it. Thank you.